Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Coffee Clutch. This is Marianne Russo. Thank you for joining us tonight. We're continuing our series with the Child Mind Institute. And tonight our guest is Dr. Melanie Fernandez. She is a clinical psychologist who specializes in the treatment of children's behavior problems, particularly attention deficit disorder and oppositional defiant disorder. And I'm just really happy to have her here. Um, Dr. Fernandez, thank you for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, you know, I'm so excited to do this interview because, you know, oppositional defiant disorder is very common, but um, it's a very disturbing diagnosis for parents. And I think of all the disorders, um, this one brings the most confusion and despair. So I guess I'd want to start off the interview with talking about, um, you know, with so many other diagnoses um, that could account for behaviors like bipolar, ADHD, OCD, I mean, even sensory processing disorder. Um, how do you determine that oppositional defiant disorder is a good fit for a child? You know, I think that's such a good point, and it just highlights why we need to do a really thorough assessment always. We're always trying to best understand what's explaining a particular pattern of behaviors um, and trying to, you know, really get a handle on if there's a better explanation for it. So when we do our assessments, we want to make sure we get careful background information um, and that we get additional information from the parents in the form of rating scales, teachers as well, other collaterals if there's a coach um, or, you know, ahead of another extracurricular, um, and, and we want to really make sure that the behaviors are happening in, at a certain frequency and it, that they're getting in the way. That's really the, the main issue is are they creating interference for this child or this adolescent um, in their lives? And, you know, I think, you know, I, I often look at you know, these children with these uh, mental illnesses um, as really being a spectrum because there's so much comorbidity and overlapping. Um, do you find there's a lot of comorbidity associated with oppositional defiant disorder? 
We do. We do see a lot of comorbidity, um, and so that's part of our job is to really understand exactly what's the best explanation, but we do see that a lot of kids who have oppositional defiant disorder, ODD, also have ADHD or attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Um, we see anxiety co-occurring with ODD, so it really is important to be thorough, as we were talking about, um, to best understand because it really informs how you treat the child and the family. Right, you know, and just you know, my two cents. I just, I just hate the, the you know, op, the title oppositional defiant disorder. I think it's just such a terrible label um, to put on a kid. Um, you know, that's just my opinion. Yeah. But, um, yeah. You know, do you often see these behaviors reserved for certain venues? You know, could a child or a teen exhibit these, you know, extreme behaviors? Because the, the behaviors for oppositional defiant disorder are extreme. Um, you know, do you, do you often find that they just take place either in the home or in the school? Because I think if the behaviors are reserved for home, there's the, always the assumption it's parenting. And if the problems are at school, parents assume that, you know, the problem is the school. So right. do, you, do you find that that, that happens? You make so many good points. So I agree with you that any of these conditions occurs on a continuum. And so, you know, mildly, moderately, severely, um, and, you know, and again, in terms of the label, um, I agree some of these labels sound scary. Um, and really, the, the, the main reason for the label is to inform the treatment recommendations because it lets us know exactly how best to proceed. So we're not responding with a particular treatment um, that should be really that's indicated for, you know, something else. Um, for disruptive behavior disorders, which is sort of the category of conditions that ODD falls under, um, in our diagnostic criteria, it's possible that the behaviors and the impairment happens in only one setting, so in the social setting or um, in the school setting. So it is possible, particularly for ODD, that the concerns are only at home. Um, and that's in contrast to a condition like ADHD, where to be diagnosed as ADHD, there has to be impairment in at least two settings. Um, so it's got this pervasive um, quality oh, okay. to it. Um, so, you know, I, I think you're right that there's always, we're always looking for, you know, the, the best explanation, and sometimes, unfortunately, that involves blame. And we try to take blame out of it because no condition sort of develops for one particular reason. There's always a combination of factors, um, you know, genetic and environmental factors that contribute to the difficulties. Um, and so I think often, you know, somebody bears the blame. Um, and really, what we what we try to emphasize most is what could we all be doing a little bit better. That's what I love most about the Child Mind Institute, um, you know, because I think parents just, you know, they read your blogs, they go to your website, you know, they listen to, um, you know, you speak, and, you know, it, it, you really just look at, at the whole situation, and it's, it's just fantastic. But, um, you know, with the oppositional defiant disorder, what are the um, presentations, what are some of the behaviors that really send up red flags that it's um, ODD instead of something else? Great question. So what we typically see are, um, you know, behaviors like not following directions very often or, um, you know, really persistently refusing to obey um, adult directives or sort of 
defying, doing the opposite, um, often being argumentative, um, often sort of getting disproportionately frustrated or angry, sort of overreactive. Um, we often see sort of blaming others, having difficulty sort of accepting responsibility for misbehavior. And you'll notice each time I talk about this, I talk about it as often. Um, and so that's one of the important mm -hmm. pieces is that there have to be a certain number of these behaviors. It's got to be a pattern. They've got to be happening above and beyond what any kid does on a sort of regular day or on a particularly sort of grumpy day. Um, and, um, and they have to interfere with functioning. And, you know, I know that the adult criteria is used um, when diagnosing a child with bipolar, which we now know doesn't fit, um, you know, more than likely you see irritability. Um, but let, let's just talk in, in bipolar in its, you know, more classic terms. Do you tend to see a difference? Do you see more mania in the bipolar and really not so much um, mania in oppositional defiant disorder? It's more, um, um, you know, like you said, chronic yeah, I think what can sometimes be sort of confusing or can throw, you know, a parent or a clinician off with ODD is that kids, when they get dysregulated, can become very escalated in their behavior, um, you know, it can become sort of even more aggressive. And so in those particular situations, they can look um, you know, what some might call manic, but it's not the same thing as mania, which is a more sort of persistent, um, you know, mood disturbance um, that lasts and is, you know, has sort of a different presentation in kids. We often see, um, you know, that they're, in addition to the irritability, which, by the way, can be confusing because irritability is sort of a core feature of a lot of different presenting right. issues for kids. Um, but we often see, um, you know, kids sort of being excessively sort of silly for no apparent reason or to demonstrate hypersexual behaviors. Um, so, it, you know, it really is qualitatively different and goes back to the point of really needing to gather um, as much information at the initial assessment to make sure that we're, you know, when we're understanding or labeling a behavior that we're doing it um, accurately. Right. And, you know, I think it's it's so important for parents to understand, you know, I've written about um, understanding and surviving your defiant um, child or teen. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think it's so important because as hard as it is for the parent to deal with, and, you know, my understanding of parents dealing with children with oppositional defiant disorder, I mean, it is just it's just horrible um, what the parents go through. But I think that really the parents and everyone need to keep in mind how devastating it must be to be that child, um, right. to be that out of control. Um, so what types of treatments are effective? Um, you know, how early can you diagnose um, oppositional defiant disorder? And um, then a follow-up question would be, you know, why is it so important to know that you're dealing with ODD as far as choosing medications or treatments versus ADD or, say, bipolar or something? Again, great question. So what's really exciting is that we do have very effective treatments um, for these conditions. In fact, in a most recent review article about evidence-based interventions for these conditions, um, 16 in 
interventions were identified, um, wow. several okay. of which are of the sort of category of behavioral parent training. So working with the parents on the specific strategies that they can use and implement to structure the environment to help shift interaction. So just because we focus on parents doesn't mean it's because it's all on them or it's, you know, all the things mm-hmm. that they're, you know, need to change. But we do know that, you know, there we've studied a lot of very specific techniques that even the best parents um, don't necessarily do naturally, and we've been able to package them. Um, so it's like superhuman parenting. Um, and so we can put those in, you know, and they, they're a, a several different, you know, programs that are available. Uh, what we know is that we can diagnose ODD um, quite early, um, as young as late two or even three years old. Wow. And even though, obviously, there's a you know normative developmental stage mm-hmm. of what you know the terrible twos or more defiance in this age. Um, uh, but yes, yeah, so there are really effective treatments. They're effective early on. We also have really um, you know strong data to support that the the treatments are effective with. Older kids, even teens, um, really powerful trainings like Parent Management Training Oregon, for example, which comes out of the um, Oregon Social Learning Center. Um, so there's it's definitely um, diagnosable and treatable. Yeah, I mean, that's great, and it's great for parents to know that, you know, it's really never too late. Um, you know, and, and we talk often on the show about um, giving children the tools um, that they're going to need to regulate yeah. themselves to calm. Um, and it's so important that, you know, they, they're taught this in times of calm so that they, you know, they have these behind them when they get dysregulated. But, you know, who's going to teach them? I mean, the parents have to learn these techniques. I mean, the parents really need to be trained, which is, you know, which is great. And I know that medications can play a role. And I know that um, the, the thought, you know, maybe a dozen years ago was that the medications really weren't effective for oppositional defiant disorder. Have there been any changes in that? So another great question. Oftentimes when we work with kids with ODD and their families, um, you know, medication is introduced for a a couple of different reasons. So it's not always if it's pure oppositional defiant disorder, um, but there are times when the level of aggressive behavior um, or the level of dysregulation is so impairing um, that, you know, it's really, you know, dangerous or it's really getting in the way. In that case, um, medication may be a consideration. When kids with ODD also have ADHD, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, and again, when what we know from the evidence is that combined treatment um, is is really effective, and so that is a situation where treating the the ADHD um, can help, especially if a child's symptoms are so severe that you can't, it's very difficult to hold a treatment session. If a child is so hyperactive that, um, you know, he's unable to sort of stay in the room even, or if, Mm -hmm. you know, the shifting, it it becomes so challenging that it's almost like um, he or she isn't available to the behavioral treatment, um, then that, of course, is, is, you know, the the medication is, is a key piece. Right. And, you know, you often find that, that one doesn't really work without the other. And, you know, there is one, you know, there's not one size fits all, like you're saying. If a child has some features or comorbidity of ADHD, a stimulant may work where another child may be, you know, exacerbated and being defiant, I would assume, from, you know, OCD. So, you know, it's really just fine-tuning, you know, for these kids. And it's important because, um, you know, I know the mindset used to be that, you know, if you don't treat oppositional defiant disorder, it could lead into an adult conduct disorder. And that's, you know, something no parent wants to see. 
Right. Well, and I think you highlight why the the, the sooner that, you know, the, the concerns can be identified, um, the better, um, because, mm-hmm. you know, that you can really sort of change the trajectory of a child's life. Um, but that doesn't mean that there isn't a lot of hope um, for older kids or teenagers, because there absolutely is. And you do want to make sure that you're intervening, um, you know, because of the greater risk for um, conduct disordered behaviors, so more covert kinds right. of rule-breaking behaviors. You know, parents, you know, that's the thing. You know, people always think, oh, the kids are going to grow out of it, and, you know, that's what the jail is full of. Um, you right. know, I, it's such a good point. They are quite stable once they reach the point of disorder, and so the the notion of he'll grow out of it really isn't supported in the literature. Exactly. You know, and I think what I hear from parents um, that, you know, on other shows that we've done on this is that, you know, they're frustrated because when when they think of um, uh, parental training, they think of punishment. They think of taking things away. And, um, you know, I, I'm not I, I, I'm going to let you elaborate, but I don't think that's what you're talking about um, because they just don't work for these kids. It almost seems to make them more aggressive and angry. Um, so, you know, what are some of the options that you use instead of punishment, timeouts, things like that? So a, a, another really good point, I think a lot of the times when, um, you know, kids and families are presenting with these concerns, things have gotten really strained. The relationship has gotten more strained because, you know, the parent is entering situations sort of anticipating their child isn't going to listen to them and it's going to be a fight. Um, and similarly, their child is entering a situation thinking, I'm just going to be told what to do over and over again. And so things can feel very negative despite what underlies, you know, a, a, a strong and loving, you know, relationship, it can just, it can be, you know, strained in that way. So what we try to start off with first is building, enhancing the relationship, sort of turning the volume down on the conflict, helping parents spend more positive time with their children in sort of short bursts. Um, so that you minimize the opportunity for things to sort of go wrong or things to get negative. And we teach parents really specific ways to give their kids positive attention and to limit their negative attention. Um, and, you know, the same is true for adults. It feels pretty negative to be told what you're doing wrong all the time or what you're, you know, to be told what to do all the time. Sometimes there needs to be a little bit of a break where there's a pat on the back and, a, you know, more of mm-hmm. the encouragement. So we try to really build in the encouragement. When we do that, that actually paves the way. So discipline tends to go better. So kids are more open to being told what to do. Um, you know, parents are able to sort of set limits more calmly. And that's when we start to see sort of consequences, which can be positive or negative, work more effectively. But we tr- we really do try to sort of improve the interactions first. Right. You know that you know collaboration is key, but you have to get to the you know to the point of collaboration. I I always call it um, the language of positives because there's anything that you can say negative that you can rephrase and say it in a positive, um, so that you don't you know um, antagonize um, you know a person. And um, you know when you treat somebody with compassion, you, you tend to get a lot further. So um, you know the. The, the training that you have for the parents, I think, is just fantastic. And, you know, another issue we need to discuss is the social issue, um, which are huge for these kids because their behaviors cause them to be isolated. Um, you know, a child that has difficulty, you know, the parents talk and the child becomes not welcome in homes. Um, you know, these kids then tend to gravitate towards the wrong crowd. So, um, you know, why don't we discuss a little bit some of the self-esteem issues and the social issues um, and, you know, what, what does a parent do? 
So great point, and I think that's why we spend so much time teaching parents how not only to sort of improve their relationship and improve behaviors like compliance, but we emphasize a lot pro-social kinds of behaviors. We work with parents to really encourage their kids, um, you know, social skills like sharing, like taking turns, like speaking respectfully, because what we find is that then the parents can really kind of model for their kids, encourage their kids, and then do the same during play dates. Um, and so kids can actually improve in their interactions with other people. And what we find often is that they're sort of feeling better about themselves already because they're getting more frequent positive feedback and so they're feeling more confident and that's definitely a major goal of this process is to help kids feel more confident but I think also it's something that doesn't get as much attention as parents self-esteem because it's pretty discouraging you, you don't feel like a great parent when you're having to reprimand your child all the time but when you see yourself giving your child feedback and he lights up or she you can tell she's just really soaked up I mean that can completely transform a parent, too, in terms of his or her self-esteem. Absolutely. You know, I had a different circumstance. I had a child with a severe anxiety disorder. She had pandas, um, and she had severe school phobia. And, you know, one of the things that I stress to parents is that you cannot um, dictate your goal setting and your parenting by outside factors, what other people are going to think of, you know, how you're parenting. So, you know, in this case, if you have a child that's being rude or nasty, uh, you know, even though you would love to probably, you know, yell at the child, it would make you feel better, um, really turning around and saying, you know, I see you're really struggling. How can I help you? Can just turn it all around, you know. So it's it's really so important for parents not to, um, you know, be affected by outside factors and just really try to uh, build the trust from their kid. Um, you know, and that brings us to advocacy because, um, you know, one of the hardest things any parent that has a child with behavioral issues has to deal with is educating that child. Um, and they have to advocate for these kids. Um, so, you know, these kids are often thrown into the abyss. Um, you know, their behaviors are bad. They're, they're in, a, in, a, in an environment of conformity where things are expected of them. Um, but they're just not capable of at some point. So what do parents need to do? to um, deal with schools um, and what can educators do um, to deal with, you know, a disruptive child? Well, what we find is that a lot of the similar techniques seem to be very promising in helping teachers and educators feel more confident in approaching um, these types of behaviors and in helping sort of shift the interaction. So we know that there are techniques, for example, like a daily report card, which is a way to identify very specific goals um, that are tailored to what the child needs and what is feasible for the teacher to do. Um, and, you know, the child gets more frequent positive feedback and then can share their, you know, how they did their progress at home with their parents who then can reward their efforts at school. So I love this particular system not only because it's evidence-based, but it's relatively simple, it's acceptable to teachers, and it really builds collaboration between parents um, and teachers. So there's even more communication and in a very structured and supportive way. Um, but what we know is a lot of the similar interaction patterns that we see at home as problematic can happen between a teacher and students in the classroom. And so a lot of the techniques of shifting how they give their feedback, um, that's, that really plays a role here too. Absolutely. You know, setting achievable goals, um, you know, is huge because once there's some mastery, um, you know, they have such 
um, you know, their, their self-esteem. You know, I always say that parents need to stand up to conformity um, also for these kids to get them a differentiated education because if you get them, um, you know, into something that they're really good at and they get their self-esteem back, you know, that can also be, um, you know, really helpful. Um, it's true, and I think it goes a lot back to the training. Again, there's not a lot of training that goes that that that's done um, to help equip educators to help exactly. equip parents in behavior management. And so, you know, this is something you know that we're trying to look at with our teacher-child interaction training program is how can we, you know, preventatively equip teachers with these skills so that they feel comfortable um, addressing these issues in the class when they come up um, and that these kids can feel better about themselves. And that's so important. I love that you do that because not only are you dealing with the acute situation of them dealing with the teacher, but you're giving them life skills. Um, that they're going to have to learn um, to interact and collaborate. And hopefully, the, you know, the teacher um, or the school personnel is, you know, lets the child collaborate in problem solving. So, you know, it's great because, you know, these kids are going to have to leave. They're going to have to deal with college professors. They're going to have to deal with, you know, employers. Um, it's such a great thing that you're teaching them. Thank you. You know, I'd, I'd like to just um, finish up the, the interview talking about um, the prognosis for these kids. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think, you know, parents also have this gloom and doom um, feeling. And, um, you know, what do you think is the most important thing for parents and educators to understand and to know about, um, you know, changing the outcome? Well, I think there's more research to be done, but I think the data that we do have, for example, in parent-child interaction therapy, that as many as six years later, that the gains that a family made are largely maintained um, so that they look like they did at the end of treatment. So it's worth the investment um, in time now um, for the future, and it really is an investment in the future. So I think the prognosis, we need to we need to continue to study and continue to refine, and I think, in fact, continue to disseminate these programs that I talked about, the 16 mm-hmm. that we know are really effective, um, but we do have evidence to suggest that the, the future is, is hopeful. That's fantastic. You know, and it's so important for parents to understand that these parenting classes or um, techniques, you know, don't mean you're a bad parent. They just actually make you a better parent, you know. Absolutely, um, absolutely. And if there's, you know, if, if, for more information, we have lots of resources available on childmind.org, um, so about our programs and about other programs as well, as you had mentioned. And the blogs, like I said um, yeah. last week, are just unbelievable. I mean, this it's really um, www.childmind.org is just an unbelievable resource for parents. So thank you. I thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. Nice talking with you. You too. Um, We're going to be continuing the series with Child Mind um, Institute. Um, We have three more coming up for you. Um, So you can go to our website, check our calendar, and see who's coming up next. And as I end each show, you are your child's best advocate. If not you, then who? Become an informed, educated parent at The Coffee Clutch. You can learn all about us at www.thecoffeeclutch.com. Thank you for joining us tonight. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. 
Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.